Hey, everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and my smart person today is Leslie Hassler. She is a dynamic author, speaker, and business strategist guiding women-owned service-based businesses into more profits, cash flow, and success using her unique scaling rich method. I Listen, Leslie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and your intro music. It just, it makes you happy. I love it. I, You know what? It's all about being happy no matter what's going on. And you and I, we were talking about the weather beforehand. And I joke about the weather here in Pittsburgh all the time. But I'll just start off the show by explaining something about the way that things go here. Like spring shows up. And we're all so excited because it, it'll warm up and it'll be like 70 degrees one day. And mm-hmm. my the house will heat up and our entire house will be like 73 degrees inside. And my wife's like, it's just too hot. We need to turn the air conditioning on. And I said, okay. So I turned the air conditioning on. Well, the problem is that we only have two day, two of those days in a row. And then the next thing that happens, it's back to being 45 degrees during the day. And now our house is freezing cold. And ah, But you know what? It doesn't change the fact that your own happiness is up to you. And so I'm in a house. It's freezing cold. It's gray outside. I'm in Pittsburgh, but I'm happy. So it's all <laughs> good. Uh, let, let's start this way. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself like and your backstory. How did you get to be where you are today? How did you come up with your scaling rich method? Like, Where does this all come from? Wow. Um, big question. So, you know, I consider myself to be one of the generalists of the world. There are specialists and they're generalists. And so I have had a varied past. You know, my I have two degrees in interior design and journalism. Nothing to do with what I do today. Um, I've been in advertising. I've been in um, retail. I've been in so many different industries. And they all led me strangely to what I do today. Um, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. And I think in the world of coaches and consultants right now, that's a rarity. You know, we have a a lot of people that actually um, are really good at what they do and they become a culture consultant and, and in that work. I was a business owner. Like I know what it's like to run a business and hire your team and fail horribly um, and win wonderfully and everything in between. And it is that journey that really led me into this because my first business, for all the good that we were able to create, it kind of sucked my soul, kind of tore away at my soul. And so I had a couple of years of really conversation with God and I was going, okay, God, if it's not this, then what? Turned out that this is it. And your biz rules and the work that we do with women entrepreneurs, um, we've been doing it for eight years now. We, you know, we, we help change people's future in such a way that they glow, we glow. Like it, I'm just so proud of everyone that we've worked with and what they're able to accomplish. Yeah. It's so funny how the different experiences that we go through equip us for Mm -hmm. doing what we do. And, and listen, let me, okay. I'll give this to you from what I see as a academic perspective. Okay. Those, they say this in, in like colleges and universities about the professors, right? Those who can do and those who can't teach. So 
mm-hmm. what happens is you have people who are teaching college courses who have not had the experience in the real world. Like they've, you know, your chemistry teacher, your chemistry professor has never been a chemist, has never worked in a chemistry lab uh, apart from the academic element. And um, as far as what you're talking about is you've actually been out there in the real world doing doing business, being an entrepreneur. And so you have that lived experience that is a whole lot richer and deeper than just kind of a theoretical understanding of it. Am I properly framing that? Yeah, you know, and I won't, um, you know, we do a lot of teaching and there's a, there's teaching is no small job at all um, in that, but I do think there's something else. There's an understanding, there's a comprehension. Like I have not been able to sleep at night because I don't know how I'm going to pay payroll. You know, I, have had clients walk out on bills, um, big bills, you know, and there's a certain, (laughs) you know, uh, pit that opens up in your belly when that happens. And I think because we've been there, we've, we've ridden that roller coaster ride, um, ourselves, I can have total empathy. And I think when we have empathy and we're guiding our clients to solutions, we we really can craft something that fits them, the situation, their business, their goals in in a way that a, a one size magic formula just can't do. Okay. So I'm assuming though that you've learned from your own experiences, but I'm guessing you've also learned from the way that other people do business and things that you're you've been able to see in the world around you. Are there are there other organizations, other companies that you have learned from that say, okay, um, the way that they do business has taught me or, or is it something that I use as an example to teach my clients? Oh, for sure. I am a student of business. I don't believe that I can serve my clients well if all I ever did was have blinders on. And in a lot of ways, I'm the business geek that goes out and goes, oh, oh my gosh, that was so cool. Let me learn about it. You know, we had a little pre-conversation. We were talking about the difference of of the Dallas Cowboys organization and the Philadelphia Eagles. Like that, I will go study. Like I will go look up and read about that, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles as a business because there's some really good things that they're doing. And I think what that enables us to do is not only collect all the best practices, but I have a way of distilling those best practices in a business that doesn't even think you it would relate to yours and distill it in such a way of saying, here's how you can implement it in your business for where you're going and, and your clients and your team. I think if I wasn't doing that, then I wouldn't be able to bring the innovative and creative solutions to my clients that work in today's business, um, not just something that maybe worked 10 years ago, because our Landscape changes way too fast anymore. We can't be a static. Um, I can't be static in my understanding of business in order to be effective. Okay. And so it sounds to me like you and I are definitely of kindred spirit in this, that every every experience is a learning opportunity. Is that, is that what I'm hearing from you? Oh, golly, baseball is a learning opportunity. You know, I just spent five hours at a baseball games for my one of my sons, and I'm always amazed by... I'm like, you know, fourth grade pitch, you know, is fourth grade uh, pitch, I think is when they switch to kid pitch in our world versus machine pitch. I've told business stories just on that, like 
coming up to the base, you know, coming up to home base and deciding like, are you a hitter? Are you going to be hit? Because there's that whole mindset and it works in business. So I do that quite frequently. It's, you know, it's so funny. Uh, One of my friends from here in Pittsburgh is Joe Mull, who is a, um, he's a healthcare management speaker and, you know, a leadership guy. And it's the last time I heard him speak, he closed his story, his whole speech out with like a 10 minute story about his son playing baseball. And it was like, you know, that's, that's exactly what it is. And, and I think that in those experiences where you're, you're sharing a story that has common elements that everybody can relate to. It's, it's not the, you know, one time I was in this situation that you have never been in and that you have nothing to relate to, but it's, this is where I was. And this is something that we all know about. And that is such a helpful thing for, for conveying messages. And especially then the next time that someone is at a baseball game, it, it brings back and reinforces the message that you were, that you were sharing with them. Just super interesting. So let's talk a little bit about your scaling rich method, if you don't mind. Uh, Because I I had a guest on before and they talked about the difference between growing a business and scaling a business. Do you you make that distinction as well? Most definitely. Most definitely. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So growing and scaling a business is uh, the term that people use very interchangeably as if they mean the same thing, but they really truly don't. And I think if you don't understand the differences between them, you're going to implement the wrong strategy or the right strategy at the wrong time. So growth is an important foundational element. You need to have periods of growth. But I think people think like, oh, I'm done with growth. Now I'm going to scale. It doesn't work that way. It's really much more symbiotic. You typically go through periods of growth, then periods of scalability, and then you have to go through growth because you're building a foundation for the next scalable level, if you will. Now, definition-wise, growth, we are very classic in our definition. Growth is, um, it's a, a linear relationship. And so if you think about it, most every dollar you put in, in time or money, into growing the business will return a dollar. You know, it's very even exchange. The problem is in growth is growth devours cash. It eats it. I mean, it's like a lawnmower that goes through cash. People often try to grow to get more money to solve their cash flow issues, but they actually create um, bigger issues. So Jim Collins and um, his book Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0 brings up one of his research points that they studied that oftentimes when a company has their best year ever, historically within 18 months, they almost close if not go out of business. That is the cash part of the equation that a lot of people get wrong because you can grow yourself out of business. You can grow yourself broke. Scaling on the other hand, tends to be a lot more about profitability and about maximizing, about exponential return. So for every $1, we're looking to get four, 10, 100, $1,000 return. But you can't scale if your growth foundations aren't in place. 
So it is a dance and it is um, an art and a science type of thing. One of the things we do oftentimes for our one-to-one -one clients is we'll do a business audit to start and see if it makes good sense for us to work together. And that's part of what I'm looking for. How much of your growth foundations are nearly where you need them to be? And what are your scalable opportunities? Where can we find the cash? So when you talk about the scaling rich process, the first thing we try to do is find possibility. We want to know what people's vision is, like what's the really big dream that they're trying to achieve with this business. And then we, you know, do that audit to kind of find the opportunities, find what we need to be fixing. We fix cash because if we have to grow, we have to pay for that cash, right? We don't want to grow the business broke. And then we set about really um, putting their own special prescription, if you will, to scalability in a way that feels really good to the owner, gives them the rewards that they're looking for, meets their goals. You know, it, one of those things that really promotes ease and profitability, um, and it's something that will stick because that's the other part of it. It's no good if we do our work and then it doesn't stick. Okay, so... I don't want to oversimplify this, but I, I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Does growth relate to like the size of the business and scalability relates to the profitability of the business or am I misunderstanding that? Um, perhaps I didn't explain it uh, clearly enough. So growth typically is an initial stage of a business, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the length of time or the age of the business, but much more about what you've um, the foundations that you've accomplished. So for instance, first stage growth is all about getting a marketing message, <laughs> finding some clients willing to pay, delivering good service, right? And once you can get that reliably done, um, you're not wondering when your next client's going to be, then chances are you've got something you can maximize. So you're a little spot on with the scalability, right? Maybe it's really what we need to do now. The scalable part is getting you to reach capacity, fixing profitability, making it so that there's something to show for all of your work at the end of the day. You'll get to that point and then you're like, okay, what's the next level? Oh, now I need team. Okay, well now we gotta go build team and growth. And then it's about reaching capacity, which would be an, ex you know, so growth is kind of like the building and the foundational and scalability is about maximizing that return on all of that investment. Got it. Okay. So can you talk to me then about like a lot of people will say, I want to maximize profits. Okay. Yeah. And are there examples that you can share with us about that? Like, are there, are there organizations out there that you can say, take a look at what they're doing and this is something that we can learn from, or that, can you give us some help with that? Okay. So profitability is a real personal thing. It looks different for everyone. Um, when I think the first mistake that people often make in profitability is they, they treat profitability as a reward. And I often say there's no profitability fairy who's going to come around and say, you Rob, you've worked hard enough. You've worked long enough. You are good enough. Ding! Here's your profit. It didn't work that way. You know, so we really have to change our mindset around profitability and make it an intention in the business to reach it as soon as possible. Treat it more like one of those things we've got to do before we go crazy with it all. 
Um, and we've got like six things that we look at when it comes to profitability, but I would definitely say we have to just make the mindset that we have to get to profitability first um, and not treat it as a reward later. Okay, so um, your concept of the profitability theory, I, I, I translate it to say, like you take all of your hard work and all of your effort and you put it under your pillow and you expect the profitability fairy to visit you overnight and you wake up in the morning and pull out the check. Like the tooth fairy, they, you put your tooth under the bed and then you wake up in the morning and there's cash there. At, at, that concept doesn't work quite so well in the business no. world. Um, so, no. Okay, so you mentioned six elements, I think. Okay, can you talk to me about what those six elements are? Sure. So let's talk about the obvious ones. Controlling your cost, controlling your price. Um, everyone, normally if I talk profitability, people go, but I can't trim any more costs. Look, the point is not to trim so many costs that you hurt the business. It's just about to be lean, be flexible, right? Price though, price is one of those knobs that most people's mind keeps them from turning if you will. So, you know, I can tell you stories of price increases that we've done, which have been um, significant ones and how they always work out if the business center gets out of the way. Um, but the other four, one, uh, one, the first two have to do with scope creep. So that's the client increasing maybe the project, but not wanting to increase price or the owner doesn't ask for a price increase. And then there's over deliverability. So especially if you're a service business, there's a, a value question, like I wanna be worthy of the price that I'm charging. And so I see so many people over deliver. Now you can change your model to allow you to do that, but a lot of people don't even consider it. So, and then the last two are time slippage. <laughs> I think I made up that word, but I did hear somebody else use it, um, slippage. But that's really where if you think you have a project that should take four weeks and it takes 12 weeks, you've lost profitability, if you think about it. And the last area, which happens to a lot of people because they're not tracking their profitability at all, is product mix. Like I've seen some people where 60% of their work is actually in the lowest profitability service or product that they have. And so we just look to balance. There can be um, a definite strategic use to a low profit um, service or product. But if it's 60% of your business, that's not being strategic. That's being reactive, right? So we just really help them balance those items. Okay. It's okay for you to make up a word slippage. And I'll tell, <laughs> I'll tell you why. Being here in Pittsburgh, we have our complete own vocabulary. And uh -huh. um what, we don't use the word slippery in Pittsburgh. Things are slippy. Okay, so okay. Um, when you go outside in the winter and it's icy, you have to be careful because the roads are slippy and you don't want to. So um, if you're going down the slippy road and your tires lose grip, you have some slippage. It, it's obviously go. going to happen, right? There you go. Okay. So okay, thank you for sharing those with me. So let's let's talk about ways then to try and like support profit, like, mm. do you have some strategic concepts or some ideas to share about, you know, what is it that we can do to support the profitability or the support the profits of the business? Sure. I think the first thing is to send a benchmark, right? Um, 
or to define what it is that you need to, what the profitability needs to be in the business and then work everything backwards. You know, if you think about it, profit um, by an accounting kind of definition is what's left over on your P&L, your net income. Well, if that number needs to be a certain number, then let's build it with the end in mind. Let's build the business with the end in mind and work backwards. Oftentimes people's price is out of alignment with their profit goals. And that happens a lot, you know? Um, and I think because some of this deals with math, people get really scared of the numbers. I will tell you, I don't think I have, I'm mean, like double checking. I don't have a single client that says I love numbers. You know, uh, it's so funny. They're just, that's not what we typically like as a business owner, which is why we love to help. But it's like, if you can get through the fact that this is kindergarten math, not kindergarten, third grade math. And God gave us this wonderful device called a phone, it has this really cool app called a calculator. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, this isn't school. You don't have to do it the hard way. I use Excel and formulas all day long. Why? Because I don't want to figure out the math. Get over the numbers part, you know, but get into understanding is have you set up your business in such a way that it aligns with the goals and the needs that you have? You know, if it's personal income, if it's profit, whatever that might be. Okay. And yeah, I will tell you this, like we all like numbers in our bank account, right? Mm -hmm. And and we like to see those numbers, but trying to figure out how we got to those numbers, uh, especially as entrepreneurs and small business owners, it's not. So what I'm, again, I think what I'm understanding that you're saying is you have to have an understanding of your business. So there needs to be the profitability element. There needs to be the pricing element. So you need to determine, and if I'm making, if I'm understanding this right, okay, what is it that I need to make um, as a business owner, what does my profit need to be? And mm -hmm. then I then take basically the price of what I sell and the overall budget of what my expenses are and how many of these items do I need to sell in order to create the amount of money that I need to survive in my life. It, like, is that... Am, am I oversimplifying it or is, is that no, basically it's really not that complicated? You're spot on. I mean, we, we created a couple of tools for our clients so they could plug and play and play with the numbers because you, you have to be, um, you have to be comfortable with ish, comfortable ish with the price that you're offering. I always think you should challenge yourself and go 10% past what you're comfortable with. Um, but you, I think you need to see it and guess what? At the end of the day, if your price is way out of alignment with a lot of other things, then that means we have to find a new way. Like we're going to find a new way to deliver to our clients so that it becomes profitable. Okay. Let me just focus on price for a quick second, because yeah. there's a lot of people who are in business and they say the only my my success tool, my secret to my success is that I'm cheaper than all my competitors, right? Mm. So um, because because I'm cheaper, I'm going to be able to to sell more than they do. Mm. It sounds like that that strategy doesn't really work for you. Let's let's frame that strategy, okay? So one is if you're a product-based business and you're still, you can sell a million widgets and not work any harder or have any more investment or any 
incremental cost, maybe, maybe that can be a strategy. I think if you're a service-based business and, and 80, 85% of the businesses out there are service-based oriented, you can't be Walmart. Walmart. Walmart is an EDLP. If you've ever been on the backside of Walmart from a retail establishment, there, it's like guerrilla warfare. It is really a difficult run. I mean, the just-in-time inventory that they kind of revolutionized was so that they didn't buy anything before they needed it because they're so thin. They're so thin. I think trying to be the EDLP, the everyday low price, positions so many people to a really hard life and business that you just, I always tell people, you cannot make up in volume what you lose in margin. Wow. Yeah. It makes, it makes so much sense. And I don't think people are unwilling to f pay a fair price for, for things. Really. Um, yeah. And you're willing to pay a little bit more if, if the, the quality is there, right? Um, you know, McDonald's and five guys, both sell burgers mm -hmm. uh, and you're going to pay a different, you're going to pay a higher price at five guys than you are at McDonald's. And most of us are okay with that because there's a perception of quality there. Is it, is that, am I making sense? You're totally making sense, but it's so interesting because those, those things that we count as important, the things that we're willing to pay more for are very culturally based. So as far as you think of North America, um, and I'm going to say like maybe, you know, United States and Canada, even going down where the focus is on quality. And so I always say that quality is one of those like things you have to provide some level of quality, you, but you can't really market on quality. It's really an interesting thing. But there's, there's this funny psychology that goes with what people pay for. And there typically will be three things that somebody will pay a higher price point for. You just have to know who those people are and address those needs. Because we probably all, there's some things, um, there's some things I would buy at Walmart, for sure, I, no problem. And there's some things that I would never purchase at Walmart. I would definitely go to the higher end because I appreciate the qualities of that product or service. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. Uh, yeah, there, I will go grocery shopping at Walmart, but I don't typically go clothes shopping at Walmart. Why? Uh, so what is it that, that makes that work? So super interesting. Listen, Leslie, you've been wonderful. You've shared a tremendous amount. If people want to learn more about you, more about your business, what's the best way to find you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. So we um, we obviously share a lot on our website, yourbizrules.com, but we thought we'd give away something a little special, um, especially if you've turned it, tuned into this. We're talking a lot about the money side of business. And we have a, a reprint of an article that we did for entrepreneur.com, and it's the 21 ways to quickly fund your business growth. And you can get that at a download at our site. It's just yourbizrules.com forward slash numeral two one ways so 21 ways 
Um, and you can get that and kind of maybe think about some innovative ways to be able to fund your own business growth. Absolutely. And so I'll put, I'll put a link to the website there and I'll also put a link to that download so that folks can get a hold of that and see what they can do to, you know, find the money to, to help grow their businesses, to help scale their businesses, to, to take their business to the next level, whether that is growth or scale, because we've learned the difference today. I, Leslie, thank you so much. It is now time for three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready for these, my friend? I am. I feel like we're playing cards against humanity. I, it, <laughs> it, it, it could be a, a little bit. Uh, so what is your favorite board game? Oh, I like Wizard. It's not really a board game, though. It's a card game. Like, I'm a much more of a card game gal than a, okay. a board game gal. No problem. So um, tell me about Wizard. Like, is it, what's it like? It's kind of a gin rummy-ish thing. Okay. Like, if you could marry gin rummy and hearts and all these other things, that's Wizard. So it's a bit strategy, but you you bid on how many tricks you can win per hand. Okay. They're the number of of wins escalates throughout the game okay. and then you only get points if you are spot on so if you're over or under you're penalized wow it sounds like fun i'll have to look it up now see you've <laughs> given me research to do uh, <laughs> uh, ideally what would you what would be your favorite way to spend your birthday what if it's your special day. What would you say? These are the, the must-haves for my birthday. I'm traveling. Okay, so I'm on a trip. Where are you going? Oh, we did our my 40th in Spain. Um, it's one of my heart places. I desperately want to go to India, um, to Bali, to Angkor Wat in Cambodia. That has always been on my bucket list, and I have not yet to make it there. Excellent. There you go. Okay. So um, you're in Dallas. And if I'm coming to Dallas and I say, I want to go somewhere that is amazingly Dallas, but it's not barbecue. Um, okay. I, where, where would you say is the, is the, an essentially Dallas food place that may not necessarily be barbecue? Uh, unless oh, you're going to say Dallas is barbecue and I, you, no, if you come, no, you've got to have it. No, actually, what's so funny is obviously because I love Spain, I love Spanish food. And the first two restaurants in my brain were both Spanish. Um, if For what people feel like Texas should be, I would say, um, I don't know. I love this restaurant in Plano called Haywire. Okay. It's a four-story restaurant. It kind of opens up onto a concert venue it's it's got good steak i'm a steak gal um so and i don't consider steak barbecue by the way barbecues brisket and ribs we're barbecuing this weekend the smoker is getting all set up this weekend for my husband's 50th but um yeah probably haywire would be a really good place but if i could go spanish i'd go um barcelona is a restaurant here in town that i love wonderful um and Freddie Mercury singing Barcelona in the background somewhere would be just uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the piece de resistance. Hey, Leslie, 
Thank you so much for being with me today. You are indeed a smart person. For all of my listeners, thank you for being here. And I will remind you that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody. 